section one of a year with the saints translated from the italian by a member of the order of mercy this LibriVox recording is in the public domain january perfection be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect st matthew five forty eight one consider all the past as nothing and say like david now i begin to love my god st francis de sales it was in this manner that the apostle st paul acted though after his conversion he had become a vessel of election filled with the spirit of jesus christ yet to persevere and advance in the heavenly way he made use of this means for he said in his epistle to the philippians brethren i do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing i do forgetting the things that are behind and stretching forth myself to those that are before I press towards the mark to the prize of the supernal vocation of God in Christ Jesus. Thus the glorious St. Anthony went on from day to day, stimulating himself to virtue. St. Anastasius said of him that he always looked upon himself as a beginner, as if every day were the first in which he was serving God, and as if in the past he had done nothing good, and were but just setting foot in the way of the Lord, and taking the first steps on the road to heaven and this was the last admonition he left to his monks at his death. My sons, he said to them, if you wish to advance in virtue and perfection, never give up the practice of considering each day that you are then the beginning, and of conducting yourselves always as you did on the day you began. Thus also we find that St. Gregory, St. Bernard, and St. Charles acted and advised others to act, to render clearer to all the necessity and utility of this method, they made use of two beautiful comparisons, saying that we must act in this like travellers who do not regard the road they have gone over, but rather what remains for them to traverse, and this they keep always before their eyes, even to their journey's end, or like merchants eager for riches who make no account of what they have hitherto acquired, nor of the fatigue they have borne, but put all their thought and care upon new acquisitions and upon daily multiplying their possessions as if in the past they had made no profit at all. 2. We must begin with a strong and constant resolution to give ourselves wholly to God, professing to Him in a tender, loving manner from the bottom of our hearts that we intend to be His without any reserve, and then we must often go back and renew this same resolution. St. Francis de Sales One of the means for the acquisition of perfection, which was chiefly inculcated and much practiced by St. Philip Neri, was a frequent renewal of good resolutions. St. Francis of Sales made from time to time a spiritual renovation, and always conceived in it new desires to serve God better. St. John Birchman's, at his very entrance into religion, planted in his heart a strong resolution to become a saint, and then he not only remained constant in all the practices and resolutions which he took up for this end, but he went on daily gaining new vigor to his spiritual advantage. When a holy religious was giving the exercises at Tordespici in Rome, a nun, called Sister Maria Bonaventura, who was living a very relaxed life, did not wish to be present. By many entreaties she was finally induced to attend. The first meditation on the end of man enkindled such fervor in her heart that the father had scarcely finished when she called him to her and said, Father, I mean to be a saint, and quickly. She then withdrew to her cell and, writing the same words on a scrap of paper, fastened them to the foot of her crucifix. From this moment she applied herself with so much earnestness to the practice of perfection that a memoir of her was written at her death 
which occurred eleven months later. 3. The Lord chiefly desires of us that we should be completely perfect, that we may be wholly one with Him. Let us aim, therefore, at whatever we need to reach this. St. Teresa Father Peter Faber, a companion of St. Ignatius, and highly esteemed by St. Francis de Sales, often dwelt on the thought that God greatly desires our advancement, and so he endeavored to grow constantly, and not to let a day pass without some progress in virtue, so that he gradually rose to great perfection, and a high reputation for sanctity. St. Pacomius and St. Anthony, by studying the virtues of others, stimulated themselves to attain similar excellence. The venerable sister Mary Villani had the following vision. On the feast of St. Francis, for whom she had a particular devotion, this saint appeared to her, and led her to a lofty place, more beautiful than any she had ever seen. To reach it, one was obliged to ascend four very high terraces, which signified, as the saint revealed to her, the four degrees of perfection. With great difficulty she ascended by his help, the first terrace, and he explained to her that this was the first state of perfection, called purity of conscience, which borders on angelic purity. In it the soul becomes like that of a little child, enjoys a pure and holy tranquillity, never thinks evil of others, nor interests itself in what does not belong to its own position. Thence he brought her up to the second terrace, telling her that whoever had arrived at purity of conscience becomes capable of prayer and of true love, which is the inseparable fruit of prayer. Here he enumerated to her the properties of true love, which is pure, simple, unselfish, and founded upon the truth of God, who can give himself only to souls already possessed of purity. Then he raised her to the third terrace, that of the cross and mortification, adding that from purity and love the soul passes on to taking up the cross courageously and to being itself crucified, and that to arrive at this state one must acquire four cardinal virtues. These are a true mortification of all vices and of every earthly affection, a perfect poverty of spirit which tramples underfoot all temporal goods, a living death by which the soul dies to itself and to all affections of sense, and lives in a total annihilation and transformation into its crucified Lord, so as to be able to say, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The soul that has gained this state seems to have conquered the world, and bear suffering and crosses as if it could no longer feel them. The fourth terrace, he said, typified the state of real and perfect union. 4. I hear nothing talked of but perfection, yet I see it practiced only by a few. Everyone forms his own ideal of it. Some place it in simplicity of attire, some in austerity, some in almsgiving, some in frequent reception of the sacraments, this one in prayer that one in passive contemplation, and another in the gifts called gratuitous. But, by a general mistake, they take the effect for the cause and the means for the end. For my part, I know of no other perfection than loving God with all the heart, and our neighbor as ourselves. Whoever imagines any other kind of perfection deceives himself, for the whole accumulation of virtues without this is but a heap of stones. And if we do not immediately and perfectly enjoy this treasure of holy love, the fault is in us. We are too slow and ungenerous with God, and do not give ourselves up entirely to Him, as the saints did. St. Francis de Sales Who does not see that the perfection of this saint must have been of a true and very sublime character, when his love for God and his neighbor was so great and so pure? 
The same may be said also of St. Vincent de Paul and many others. St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi was truly admirable in both of these points. As we shall hereafter see, she was so much inflamed with the love of God that she could not bear the excessive ardor of this divine fire, and was obliged to cool her glowing bosom with linen cloths soaked in water. And she carried the love of her neighbor so far as to desire and procure others good, in preference to her own. 5. All perfection is founded upon only two principles, by means of which, with due attention to the daily actions suited to our estate, we shall certainly arrive at the summit and fullness of it. The first principle is a very low esteem for all created things, but, above all, for ourselves. This low esteem should show itself, in practice, by renouncing ourselves and all creatures, in our hearts by firm resolution, and in our lives in such ways as may be suitable, especially, by manifesting contentment and cheerfulness when the Lord takes from us any good. The second principle is a very high esteem of God, which may be easily acquired by the light of faith as he is omnipotent, the supreme good, and our end, as also because he has loved us so much, and is ever present with us, and guides us in all things, both as to nature and grace, and, in particular, has called us, and leads us by a special vocation to a lofty perfection. From this esteem there must certainly arise in us a great submission of will, and of every power and faculty, to his greater glory, without any mingling of our own interest, though it be ever so holy. At the same time, there will be great conformity with the divine will, which will be the actual measure of all our designs, affections, and works. In this manner, the soul arrives at union, not, indeed, at the mystic union of raptures, elevations of the spirit, and vehement affections, but the solid, real, and practical union of a will, thoroughly conformed to the divine will, by the perfect love, which works out all things in God, and for God without special lights. Of this all are capable and all, with certainty, though not without crosses, can arrive at it. Father Chile Gagliardi It was always the principal study of St. Vincent de Paul to establish and perfect himself in these two principles. Therefore, as his profound humility made him believe himself incapable of great things, he thought only of fulfilling faithfully towards God the obligations of a true and perfect Christian. And since he knew, by heavenly illuminations, that all Christian perfection depends upon a good use of these two principles, he aimed at them alone, and sought above all to penetrate them well, and to fix them in his soul, that they might serve as an unerring rule and guide for all his actions. And the plan succeeded well. For God, who exalts the humble, did not think it enough to guide him by this means to that Christian perfection which he had prescribed to himself but willed to exalt him to a sanctity equally solid and eminent, and which may truly be called singular, as, in fact, there are certainly few persons who, without the help of extraordinary and mystic lights, under the guidance only of the lights of ordinary grace, have reached so lofty a sanctity as has the servant of God. 6. Perfection consists in one thing alone, which is, doing the will of God. For, according to our Lord's words, it suffices for perfection to deny self, to take up the cross and to follow him. Now, who denies himself and takes up his cross and follows Christ, better than he who seeks not to do his own will, but always that of God? Behold, now, how little is needed to become a saint, nothing more than to acquire the habit of willing, on every occasion, what God wills. St. Vincent de Paul more than in anything else the saint just quoted showed the purity and solidity of his virtue, 
and always aiming to follow and obey the will of God. This was the great principle on which all his resolutions were founded, and by which he faithfully and firmly carried them into practice, trampling underfoot his own interest, and preferring the divine will and the glory and service of God to anything else without exception. The Lord said of David that he was a man after his own heart, and the foundation for such high praise is given in these words, For in all things he will do my will. St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi was so much attached to this practice that she often said that she would never determine upon anything, however trivial, such as going from one room to another, if she thought it not in conformity with the divine will, nor would she omit to do anything she believed in conformity with it. And she added that if it came into her mind, while she was in the midst of an action, that such an action was contrary to the will of God, she would abandon it on the instant, though to do so might cost her life. Tolerus relates of a certain holy and learned man, that when his friends entreated him on his deathbed to leave them some good precept, he said, The sum and substance of all instruction is to take all that comes as from the hand of God, and to wish for nothing different, but to do in all things his divine will. The venerable Seraphina of God had so great a love for the divine will, that she often entreated her director to manifest it to her, saying, Counsel me, Father, as to what I am to do, and do not let me do anything of myself, that I may please the Divine Majesty, for to see God ever so little displeased would be worse than the loss of a thousand worlds. One day there came to her so great a desire to do nothing according to her own will, but only according to that of God, that, with the consent of her director, she made a vow to that effect. 7. A servant of God signifies one who has a great charity towards his neighbor, and an inviolable resolution to follow in everything the divine will, who bears with his own deficiencies, and patiently supports the imperfections of others. St. Francis de Sales The whole life of this saint, as well as of St. Vincent de Paul, was but a faithful and continual exercise of these virtues, on the occasion which every day presented themselves. In this way they both became great servants of God. In the lives of the Fathers of the West, it is told of St. Fintan that he was daily visited by an angel, but that once the visit was omitted for several days. When the saint had the happiness of seeing him again, he asked the angel why he had been so long deprived of his most sweet companionship. Because, replied the angel, I had to be present at the death of Motua, who was a great servant of God, and better than yourself, for he did what you have not done. This man never spoke a harsh word to any one present, nor an unkind word of any one absent. He never complained of heat or cold, nor of anything else, whatever it might be, or however it might happen, but always conformed himself to the will of God, in whose hands are all things. When St. Gertrude was, one day, mourning over a little fault into which she was accustomed to fall at times, she earnestly entreated the Lord to free her from it. But he said to her with great sweetness, would you wish that I should be deprived of a great honor, and you yourself of a great reward? Know that every time one perceives a fault of his own, and resolves to avoid it for the future, he gains a great reward, and as often as he keeps himself from falling into it again for my sake, he does me as much honor as a valiant soldier does his king, when he fights manfully against his enemies and conquers them. 8. To be perfect in one's vocation is nothing else than to perform the duties and offices to which one is obliged, solely for the honor and love of God, referring all to his glory. 
whoever works in this manner may be called perfect in his state a man according to the heart and will of god st francis de sales in the lives of the holy fathers it is narrated of the abbot paphnutius who was highly celebrated for sanctity that one day he expressed a desire to know from the lord whether he had any merit in his eyes he received the reply that he had gained equal merit with a certain nobleman whose name was given the saint immediately visited this gentleman by whom he was kindly treated and hospitably entertained when the repast was over the abbot begged of his host to tell him what was his manner of life the baron excused himself by saying that he did not possess any virtue but after many entreaties he said that he was very careful to entertain pilgrims and provide them with whatever might be necessary for their journey that he never despised the poor but helped them in their need as much as he could that he had justice administered equitably and always gave honest decisions never swerving from right through fear or favor that he never oppressed his subjects that he allowed any one to become his tenant and expected from no one more than what was justly his due that no one could complain of ever having received harm or damage from his family or cattle that he had never offended or slandered any one but treated all with respect helped all as far as he was able and endeavored to keep all in peace and harmony on hearing this the holy abbot was greatly edified and understood that true perfection consisted not in great deeds but in fulfilling our duties in san cesario in the province of lecce there lived in the time of st joseph de cupertino a nun who had a great reputation for sanctity one day when the saint happened to visit the house of the marquise of that place he was asked his opinion of this report in regard to the nun he answered you have a real saint here among you who is not known and he named a poor widow of whom not a word had ever been said the marquise inquired as to what were her good qualities and found that she remained always shut up in her poor little home with some of her daughters and that they worked constantly to support themselves and were never seen abroad but once a day which was very early in the morning when they were going to church to hear mass nine although in entering religion and taking care not to offend god we may appear to have done everything ah but often certain worms remain which do not allow themselves to be perceived until they have gnawed away our virtues such worms are self-love self-esteem harsh judgments of others though in trifles and a great want of charity towards our neighbor but if indeed by dragging on we satisfy our obligations we do not do it with that perfection which god would expect of us st teresa to one of these worms self-esteem monsignor de palafox attributed his own relaxation after his conversion and his narrow escape from eternal ruin for said he though i was humble had i therefore a right to believe that i was truly humble and though i desired and intended to be good ought i therefore to presume that i was truly good this hidden pride obliged the divine goodness to overwhelm me in order that i might see that i was not good but bad weak miserable full of pride sensuality and unfaithfulness and a prodigal scorner of the gifts of grace it is told in the lives of the fathers that two of them had received the gift of beholding mutually the grace which was in the heart of the other one of them leaving his cell early one friday morning found a monk who was eating at the hour contrary to their custom he judged him to be in fault and reproved him when he returned home his companion did not see in him the usual sign of grace and asked him what he had done but when the other remembered nothing he added 
Think whether you may not have said some idle word. Then he remembered his rash judgment and related what had happened. For this fault they both fasted two whole weeks, at the end of which the usual sign appeared in the brother who had been culpable. 10. Observe that perfection is not acquired by sitting with our arms folded, but it is necessary to work in earnest in order to conquer ourselves and to bring ourselves to live not according to our inclinations and passions, but according to reason, our rule in obedience. The thing is hard, it cannot be denied, but necessary. With practice, however, it becomes easy and pleasing. St. Francis de Sales Plutarch relates of Lycurgus that he once took two puppies of the same litter and trained up one in the kitchen and the other to hunting. When they were grown, one day when he was going to address the people, he took them into the form, where he threw down some fish bones and at the same time let loose a hare. The first immediately began to gnaw the bones, while the other set off in pursuit of the hare. Then Lycurgus commanded silence and, turning to the people, said, Do you see this? These two dogs are of the same breed, yet they are not inclined to the same thing, but each to that which he has been accustomed to. So true is it that habit ends in overcoming even the most violent inclinations of nature. It is written of St. Ignatius de Ola that through the continual struggle which he had made to mortify himself and to bear contradictions patiently, he had arrived at such a point as to appear to have no longer any inclination. The same thing has also been noticed in many others. 11. All the science of the saints is included in these two things, to do and to suffer, and whosoever has done these two things best has made himself most saintly. St. Francis de Sales Anyone who reads the lives of Saints Ambrose, Basil, Jerome, Chrysostom, Dominic, Vincent de Paul, and other great saints will not be surprised that they became so remarkable for holiness when he sees the innumerable good works which they wrought and the great sufferings which they endured. We are told in the lives of the fathers that this was the method chiefly employed by St. Dorotheus to sanctify his disciple Dosotheus. This saint kept the latter constantly occupied, especially in things opposed to his own wishes. If he saw in his possession any article that was convenient and well made, even though it might be necessary for his work, he took it from him. If Dosotheus called his master's attention to anything which he had done well, the saint sent him away without any answer, and thus, in every desire, the saint sought to mortify his disciple, while the latter, in the meantime, obeyed promptly in everything and bore all without reply. And thus, in the course of only five years, he reached a very high perfection in sanctity. 12. I wish I could persuade spiritual persons that the way of perfection does not consist in many devices, nor in much cogitation, but in denying themselves completely and yielding themselves to suffer everything for love of Christ. And if there is failure in this exercise, all other methods of walking in the spiritual way are merely a beating about the bush and profitless trifling, although a person should have a very high contemplation and communication with God. St. John of the Cross Cassian wrote concerning the abbot Paphnutius that the road by which he arrived at such great sanctity was that of constantly mortifying himself, and that in his manner he extinguished in himself all vices and perfected in himself all virtues. Father Balthazar Alvarez practiced continual mortifications and self-denial in all that nature desired, not only in great things but also in small, 
and by this he arrived at high perfection the blessed angela di feligno in an ecstasy saw the lord bestowing marks of love upon some of his servants but upon one more upon another less desiring to understand the cause of this difference she advanced to inquire of our lord who answered thus i invite all to me but all are not willing to come because the way is interlaced with thorns to all who come i offer my bread to eat and my cup to drink but my food is not pleasing to sense and my cup is full of bitterness so that all do not desire to satiate themselves with those labors which were my meat while i was in the world but those who are most constant in bearing me company they certainly are my dearest and most favored ones when the saint had heard this she was filled with so great a desire of suffering and denying herself in all ways that when many difficulties were afterwards placed in her way by her religious and by her own family she experienced in them as great comfort as a whirling could have found in any plan made for his pleasure and advantage thirteen the greatest fault among those who have a good will is that they wish to be something they cannot be and do not wish to be what they necessarily must be they conceive desires to do great things for which perhaps no opportunity may ever come to them and meantime neglect the small which the lord puts into their hands there are a thousand little acts of virtue such as bearing with the importunities and perfections of our neighbors not resenting an unpleasant word or a trifling injury restraining an emotion of anger mortifying some little affection some ill-regulated desire to speak or to listen excusing an indiscretion or yielding to another in trifles these are things to be done by all why not practice them the occasions for great gains come but rarely but of little gains many can be made each day and by managing these little gains with judgment there are some who grow rich oh how holy and rich in merit we should make ourselves if we but knew how to profit by the opportunities which our vocation supplies to us yes yes let us apply ourselves to follow well the path which is close before us and to do well on the first opportunity without occupying ourselves with thoughts of the last and thus we shall make good progress st francis de sales st philip neri enkindled with the desire of martyrdom had resolved to go to preach the faith in india but when god informed him by revelation that his india must be in rome he employed himself there and by leading a light full of virtuous actions he became a great saint st john birchman's in only five years of religious life certainly reached a lofty perfection now how did he accomplish it by nothing except striving to be faithful to do exactly all those things which he knew to be right and possible for him in the way of not neglecting any part of perfection which with the aid of grace he might be able to acquire st gertrude feeling very weak one day decided to make an effort to say matins when she had finished the first nocturne another sick sister came to ask her to say the office with her and she immediately went back to the beginning that same morning she had a vision in which she saw her soul adorned with jewels of great value and the lord said to her that by the act of charity which she had performed for his love she had merited this ornament in which the jewels equaled in number the words she had repeated we read of a young jesuit student that one morning in vacation when he was just starting for a walk with some of his companions he was requested by one of the fathers to wait half an hour and serve mass which he did when he had become more advanced in knowledge and age he went to preach the faith among the infidels 
and there was found worthy to obtain the glory of martyrdom. Then it was revealed to him that so great a grace had been given him by God, in reward for the little mortification which he accepted in serving Mass. 14. Our greatest fault is that we wish to serve God in our way, not in His way, according to our will, not according to His will. When He wishes us to be sick, we wish to be well. When He desires us to serve Him by sufferings, we desire to serve Him by works. When He wishes us to exercise charity, we wish to exercise humility. When He seeks from us resignation, we wish for devotion, a spirit of prayer or some other virtue. And this is not because the things we desire may be more pleasing to Him, but because they are more to our taste. This is certainly the greatest obstacle we can raise to our own perfection, for it is beyond doubt that if we wish to be saints according to our own will, we shall never be so at all. To be truly a saint, it is necessary to be one according to the will of God. St. Francis de Sales St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi knew this most important truth, and, with the guidance of so clear a light, she knew how to submit her will to that of God so perfectly, that she was always contented with what came to her day by day, nor did she ever desire anything extraordinary. She was even accustomed to say that she would consider it a marked defect to ask of the Lord any grace for herself or others, with any greater importunity than simple prayers, and that it was her joy and glory to do His will, not that He should do hers. Even as to the sanctity and perfection of her own soul, she wished that it might be not according to her own desire, but to the will of God. And so we find among her writings this resolution, to offer myself to God and to seek all that perfection and only that perfection which He is pleased that I should have, and in the time and way that He shall wish, and not otherwise. In conversation with an intimate friend, she once said, the good which does not come to me by this way of the divine will does not seem to me good. I prefer having no gift at all, except that of leaving all my will and all my desires in God to having any gift through desire and will. Yes, yes, in me sini du volta tua et non volta mea. Thy will, not mine, be done. The grace which she asked most frequently and most earnestly of the Lord was this, that he would make her remain till death entirely subject and submissive to his own divine will and pleasure. Thus it is no wonder that she became so holy. Even among the heathens there are to be found those who by the light of reason alone clearly understand this truth. Plutarch disapproved of the common prayer of the people. May God give you all that good which you desire. No, he says, we ought rather to say, May God grant that you shall desire what he desires. And what is more, Epictetus practiced it, for he said, I am always content with whatever comes to me day by day, for I know that whatever happens, it all happens by the disposal of God, and I am certain that what God wills is better than what I can ever will. 15. Two mistakes I find common among spiritual persons. One is that they ordinarily measure their devotion by the consolations and satisfactions which they experience in the way of God so that if these happen to be wanting, they think they have lost all devotion. No, this is no more than a sensible devotion. True and substantial devotion does not consist in these things, but in having a will resolute, active, ready, and constant, not to offend God, and to perform all that belongs to His service. 
The other mistake is that if it ever happens to them to do anything with repugnance and weariness, they believe they have no merit in it. On the other hand, there is then far greater merit, so that the single ounce of good done thus by a sheer spiritual effort amidst darkness and dullness, and without interest, is worth more than a hundred pounds done with great facility and sweetness, since the former requires a stronger and purer love. And how great soever may the ardities and the repugnance of the sensible part of our soul, we ought never to lose courage but pursue our way as travellers treat the parking of dogs. St. Francis de Sales a pious matron, desiring to know what class of souls was most acceptable to the Lord, he gratified her wish by the following vision. One morning she was hearing Mass, when, after the elevation, she saw Jesus in the form of a most lovely child, who began to walk about the altar. Thence he descended to a place where three devout nuns were kneeling at its foot. He took one of them by the hand and gave her many caresses. Then approaching the second, he raised her veil and gave her a slight blow on the cheek and left her as if in anger. But soon returning and finding her in grief and affliction, he devoted himself to consoling her with a thousand endearments. Finally he came to the third, and, with an appearance of great wrath, took her by the arm and drove her away from the altar, loading her with blows and even tearing the hair from her head, while she bore all with great calmness, humbling herself and blessing God. Then Jesus, turning to the matron, said, you must know that the first one is weak in virtue, and very changeable. Therefore, to confirm her in the good way, I show myself altogether amiable and kind. Otherwise, she would leave it. The second is more perfect, yet she needs to experience, from time to time, some spiritual sweetness. But the third is so firm and constant in my service, that whatever adversity may come to her, she will not allow herself to be withdrawn from it, and she is my best beloved." St. Philip Neri, in order to save his penitents from the first of these mistakes, used to tell them that in the spiritual life there are three degrees. The first, which is called animal, includes those who follow the sensible devotion which God usually gives to beginners, in order that, drawn by this delight, as animals are by sensible objects, they may give themselves to the spiritual life. The second, which is called the life of man, is led by those who, without sensible consolation, fight for virtue against their own passions, which is the true characteristic of man. The third is called the angelic life. Those who have arrived at it, who, after long struggles in subduing their own passions, receive from God a life calm and tranquil, and, as it were, angelic even in this world. And if any one perseveres in the second degree, God will not fail, in his own time, to raise him to the third. End of section 1